We are continuing in our series, Ready, Aim, Fire. So go ahead and turn to 1 John 5. I'm going to just be sharing a couple of verses uh, with you. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, make sure if you haven't already, uh, feel free uh, to grab a t-shirt on your way out. Just if you'll fill out a guest card located right in front of you. Promise you won't go on any mailing list. Uh, I, I just would like to follow up with you. I'll even include a gift from me with your letter. Uh, just also real quick, uh, the worship team meeting next week, you see me playing guitar. I don't really want to play guitar. I like playing guitar, but it's a lot to do, two services. So if you can play guitar, you can play keyboards, you can sing, you can play bass. We need you on the worship team. Our church is growing, praise God. Uh, and so we want to we wanna keep adding uh, musicians. Also, uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we're going to be at our next annual meeting in, in January. I know it sounds like a million years away, uh, but I bet you didn't even realize, you know, we're already just getting into almost the fall and people will be having their pumpkin spice stuff. So, so I want to I wanna, uh, just encourage you, if you are, would like to be a part of uh, that process, we're going to be reviewing our, our bylaws. So if you'd like to get a copy of them and, and make any suggestions, we haven't done a review in five years. So, so it's about time. All right, today we're going to be continuing in our series, Ready, Aim, Fire. We're looking not only at the subject of prayer, we're looking at our role in God's purposes in a whole new way. Each week we're looking at an essential dynamic of prayer. If you weren't able to be here last week, I encourage you to check out the video of the podcast of last week's message when you get the chance. It's all about readiness, and James says the effective prayer of a righteous man is powerful. The fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And, and that word righteous, it indicates not just that we're saved, but that we're walking in a way where our prayers are empowered. And so this week, we're gonna obviously move on to the next part, which is aim, because a lot of people tell you something like, hey, you know, don't worry about prayer, prayer's just talking to God. Well, I guess kind of at an entry level it is, but as you're gonna see today, prayer is a lot more than just talking to God. I was sharing with somebody after the 9 a.m. service uh, about my father-in-law who's Catholic and he's like 92 and he says, you know, my, my list just keeps getting longer and by that he means people he's gonna pray for because they have cancer or they're sick and everything. And I'm like, if your prayer life is just you telling God what you want him to do, you're gonna find that it's a very unsatisfying prayer life. You're gonna dry up. You're not going to be able to operate as God has called you to operate. We are engaged in a battle with a force of evil far greater than any, any human power. You know, we'll, we'll see something, for example, like a school shooting. We had two of them happen near me. One of them was Newtown, Connecticut, and then Parkland. I, I used to pass that sometimes if I would go a different way to my, my office in South Florida. And every time we see something like that, we get angry because somebody is using a weapon, a power, in a very evil way, in a way it was not intended. But what I want us to understand is that God has given us the weapons of our warfare for a specific purpose. And I want to help you become better equipped for the battle and to be intentional and targeted in being instruments of righteousness. So like I said, let's take a look at 1 John chapter 5. I want to look at a couple of verses. We're going to begin to look at why we need to be good shots, so to speak, when it comes to using this incredible weapon called prayer. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we have asked for, or we, we know that we have what we have asked 
of him. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to unpack your word today in a way that honors you, Lord, and not in a way that exalts self. Help us, Lord, to understand why you have given us this, this weapon of prayer and what you would have us to do with it. We want to do what Jesus did. We want to look and to act and to speak as Jesus did. So teach us through your word today. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. Most of the time, when we engage in prayer, it is either reactive or preventative, meaning we pray for something that's already happened that we don't like or something that might not happen that we won't like. And, and what this is like, it's like, it's like firing blind. I was thinking of the movie, I, Robot, and, and, and Will Smith's character is being attacked by, by these robots and Bridget Moynihan pulls out this gun and she, she shoots and she closes her eyes while she's shooting. And, and Shia LaBeouf's character says, hey man, she just shot, with, shot at you with your eyes closed. She had her eye, and, and he's like, did you shoot at me with your eyes closed? And she's like, well, I got him, didn't I? And, and that's, like, that's like that friend that you're terrified to ride in their car and, and you get out and you're like kissing the dirt, like thank you Jesus. That I, and they're like, did you die? And I'm like, not yet. But odds are, if I keep riding with you, I will. And that's, that's what prayer is when we're firing blind. You may hit the target occasionally, but you're not going to be acting and praying like Jesus did. Jesus prayed proactively and specifically, targeted, purposeful prayer. It's not that it's wrong to pray for things that happen to us. There's a time and a place for that, right? You get into like a Bible study and people will get out their needs and we're gonna take like five minutes in prayer. But if that is as deep as it goes, then you're not moving into maturity. How much, how much less would we have to pray for things that have already happened if we got proficient at praying for what should happen? You hear what I'm saying? How much less would we have to pray about things that has happened. I want to ask sometimes, people will come up, can you pray for this and there's this health need and, I, and I'm praying. All right, have you pray, been praying consistently for health in your home? Well, no. Have you been kneeling with your family at night? See, when Ruth and I got married, we started praying together, nine o'clock at night. And then my daughter Bonnie came along and she was in a little car carrier and we were still praying. And then my daughter Stephanie came along. And so to this day, Around nine o'clock, somebody will knock on my door or I'll knock on theirs. Hey, it's time for prayer. And so we're praying for things. And I've told my kids, look, I know that that's not the most exciting thing. I don't get up and give a sermon or anything. Then it'll make it really exciting. No, I'm just kidding. My kids, my kids, I don't think they're going to get excited about their dad's preaching too much anymore. But, but what, what we're doing is we're covering our home in prayer and we're acknowledging the sovereignty and authority of God over our home. And so in doing that, when you're praying for blessing, God, God use us to, to be your witnesses like we just sang. Make me an answer, somebody else's prayer. Or, or God, cover this house with, with, with health and cover this house with joy. Cover this house with peace. Let there be laughter in this home. See, how much less would we have to pray for things that happen bad if we're praying like Jesus taught us for the will of God to be accomplished in the situation? So I want to look at our initial text because I want you to see a couple things and I want to put them in context. First of all, the idea that we can simply pray for whatever we want and if we have enough faith, God is required to grant it. This is a distortion of scripture. Somebody taught you this who's trying to sell you something. 
Because this is not what the Bible teaches. And I, saw, I know some people start squirming and they get uncomfortable because that's your definition of prayer. That's your definition of faith. Faith has to always biblically originate with God. By faith, Noah. Did Noah decide, I think it's going to rain? No. God spoke, Noah responded. By faith, Abraham. Go read. We're going to be looking at a passage in Hebrews 11. It's called the Heroes Hall of Fame. Over and over and over, you see these examples. God speaks. Man responds. So somebody asked me a question after service. And they said, well, can you kind of flesh this out? Help me to understand. I said, okay, say you, you sprain your ankle. And, and I say, hey, don't worry about it. I'm going to come cut your lawn. And, and it starts growing up a little bit. And your neighbor's like, hey, uh, your lawn is, is getting big. And you're like, hey, my pastor said he was going to come cut it. And I believe him. And I trust him. I'll be there. But if you decide, I don't want to cut my lawn. So I'm going to believe for Pastor Dave to come cut it. Keep waiting. See, that originated with you. Faith originates with God. Faith, and, and, and look again what it says. We have this confidence that if we ask anything, what? According to his will. According to his will. Now see, yes, there is one single verse in Scripture that says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received and it will be yours. But a text out of context is a pretext. If I open my Bible, close my eyes, point down and said, Judas hung himself. Close my eyes. Go ye and do likewise. <laughs> Those are both scripture verses, but they're out of context. And so when Jesus said, whatever you ask for in prayer, he was talking about people who were moving in the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so he was trying to encourage them to expand their faith. There is not one verse of scripture that says if you just, just go believe it hard enough and you're going to get it. Not what it says. Not what it says. Believe for that Ferrari all you want. I've seen people say, well, you know what? I believe God's going to give me a new spouse. God may kill you, give her one. <laughs> there is no way that you can just generate enough quote-unquote faith to make God do what you want him to do even when it's opposed to his will. Because that's the work of the devil. And you can't make God do the work of the devil because you have this, well, you know what? I just want this. I don't care. And I'm just going to believe for it. Faith originates with God. And when Jesus would teach on faith, look, there's, there's so many passages that I can give you. Uh, in 1 Timothy 6, 5, Paul says that people who think that godliness is a means to earthly gain are depraved. Man, that's, that's, that's harsh, but it's true. James says in James 4, 3, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. John says in our initial text, and by the way, I've just quoted probably the three most respected leaders in the first century church, that God hears us when we pray, quote, in his will. I could go on and on and on. In order to accept the purpose of prayer as receiving what you want, you have to take one verse out of context and throw away many verses and many passages that teach us the true nature and purpose of prayer. Okay, so prayer is not to be primarily reactive. It's not to be self-centered. What is its purpose? Hear me on this because I want to give you the most succinct biblical definition of prayer I know after more than two decades of pastoring and three decades of serving the Lord. Prayer is the supernatural channel of connection that we have with both the heart and hand of God 
for the accomplishment of his purposes in the natural world. Let me say that again. Prayer is the supernatural connection that we have to the heart and hand of God for the accomplishment of his purposes in the natural world. When Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray, he gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really not a prayer. It is a pattern of prayer. It is a process of prayer. And he begins with praise. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Focus on the name of God, the character of God, and praise Him for that. But the very next thing, before he gets into any supplications, before he gets into asking God to meet your needs, he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That was the, almost the first thing he taught. After praise comes submission to the will of God. That's why as possessors and handlers of such a great gift, we need to recognize not only the purpose of prayer, but how to maximize the power of it. That's what aiming is all about. Let me tell, show you the, the atmosphere of empowered prayer. Jesus is speaking in Matthew seven eleven. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? All right, now that's, that's blunt and that's harsh, but what he means is this. We are broken, imperfect vessels. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. But I'm not done yet. I'm not finished yet. I'm not perfect yet. If you think you're perfect, this altar is open and I will pray for you. Because you have a serious pride problem. Paul says, not that I have already made perfect. Not that God is done with me. But this I do. I press on. I labor. I strive to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Meaning, when God saved Paul, when God saved me, when God saved you, he took hold of you for the purpose of molding and shaping you into a vessel that looks like Jesus, not just to save you, but to shape you. He knew, knew and knows from eternity past what role he has for you in his kingdom forever. And he's shaping and molding you according to that purpose. So Jesus is teaching us both the nature of the Father and the application of that nature in the physical world we live in. He establishes that we are broken, defective, imperfect, and that being the case, we recognize that coming into alignment with a holy, perfect God isn't something that comes naturally to us. The other day, just yesterday, I was walking around the sanctuary just praying about the service, and I'm praying over the seats and the people that will sit in them. And I just began to lift my hands. And the Bible says that God desires that in every place we lift holy hands in worship to Him. And I'm closing my eyes and I'm thinking, man, that can be an uncomfortable position. Because as soon as you start, some people, man, we just want to, we want to come in and we want to listen to the songs and we want to kind of bounce a little bit to them, right? And, and maybe clap. And, and maybe if we really like the song, we might sing along a little bit, kind of like James Conn and Elf, you know? And, but some people are like, yeah, because we've come in to, to hear from God. And so we're, we're closing our eyes, we're lifting our hands in worship. God, speak to me. God, I want to hear your voice. I remember taking a little church, <clears throat> And it's a church that had been through all sorts of division and they were bitter about some things that had happened before and I really wasn't aware of them. But it seemed like every time we'd come into worship, we'd get convicted. And, and you ever know how like you want to tell God how be God? Say, I'm like, God, you know, 
you just, if we could just celebrate, that would be, you probably people want to come in more because there's not little people in the house. And if somebody comes in and it seems like heavy and convicting, well, like I said, I didn't know all the things that have been going on. And the Spirit just spoke to me and he said, David, every time that I place that conviction upon you, I'm drawing you nearer to me. See, God had to deal with all that division. God had to deal with the gossip. God had to deal with the backbiting that had gone on. And so he was bringing that conviction to purify us, to bring us to a place where we could be the vessels that we could see growth happen through, that we could see, (coughs) let me put it this way. If you worked in an adoption agency and you were in charge of placing children, wouldn't you want to place them in a good home? You wouldn't want to place them in an abusive home. You wouldn't want to place them in a, in a home where the parents were just self-centered and would ignore the children. You'd want to place them in a good home. All right, right now, God is drawing souls all over this area to himself. Where do you think he wants to place them? He wants to place them in a church that is in love with him, that is sold out to his purposes, that is fired up for his will. And so when we come into worship and we just yield and we say, God, thy will be done. Speak to me. Do whatever you want to do. It can be uncomfortable because he might just speak. He might just tell you. Remember that fight you had? Well, I wasn't talking about that, Lord. I just want to sing. No, that fight you had with your spouse. I want you to make that right right now. Or, or I, want you to, I want you to think about your attitude, the way you were toward that person that really wanted prayer. They wanted your help and you just didn't have time for them. Right, the Holy Spirit might speak that way because he needs to shape and mold you. Let me give you three components having established what I've established. Three components regarding the process to learn how to aim. And the first is that we need to locate the target. First is we need to locate the target. Take stock of where we are. If we want to hit the target of prayer, <clears throat> we need to aim for it. I mentioned Will Smith before. Y'all have ever seen the movie Men in Black? I like that scene where he's being recruited and there's a bunch of other soldiers and police officers and everything and they're recruiting him and they send him in a firing range, right? And so they drop the lights and there's like strobe lights going off and all these monsters are down and everybody's like shoot, 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 shooting at the monsters and Will Smith waits and he waits and just at the last second, he puts a hole right between the eyes of this like little nine-year-old girl <laughs> and <clears throat> Zed comes down and he's like, what happened? He's like, I, I hesitated. He's like, you want to tell me why you think little Tiffany deserved to die? Well, she's the only one to look dangerous. Explain yourself. Well, I see this, this guy over here, this monster, and, and I thought, you know, he was, he was snarling, but he wasn't snarling. He's got a tissue. He's just sneezing. He's got a cold. And then I see this other guy, and, I, you know, he's like hanging, and, and then I realize he's working out. And how would I feel? Something, I'm in the middle of my workout. Somebody, pop, you know, pops a cap in me while I'm working out. He said, but little Tiffany... She's like nine years old, in the middle of the ghetto, in the middle of the night, monsters all around. She's holding a quantum physics book. She up to something. <clears throat> or do I owe her an apology? <laughs> he was the only one that understood the assignment. He was the only one that shot at the right target. Because he was going to be going up against aliens that were disguised in various different ways. And so he had to assess not just the outer, but what was really going on. We have to, in prayer, be more than reflexive, more than responsive, more than reactive. We have to be proactive. Uh, Let me tell you something. I I think about all the things that are going on in our culture, and many times we get worried, and and I've got a friend, and he'll put up, like, all these conspiracy theories and everything on social media, and I'm like, dude, a stopped watch is right twice a day, right? Just because, I mean, that's the way a lot of us pray. We're praying reactively. 
if we would simply, and let me tell you what, you don't think God's gonna tell, tell the church what's coming down the road five years from now? 10 years from now. You don't think he wants us to be prepared? Of course he does. Many times all we're doing is praying for what's happening right now. And God's like, no, I want you to be prepared so that you're a church that is ready when the next thing happens. When this happens to the culture, when this happens in society, when there's a break, you remember 9-11? Boy, everybody came to church then. But was the church ready to be the church? Was the church ready to preach the gospel to them? Was the church spiritually prepared? See, we need to locate the target. When we're aiming at the right target, God delights not only in hearing us, but with responding with favor towards us. The target is the will of God being brought to bear in a world that is out of it. Let me say that again. The target is the will of God being brought to bear in a world that is out of it. You and I are the vessels, the tools, the instruments of the accomplishment of that purpose. So what does, the, what does the target look like in your workplace? What does the target look like in your school, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids? What would these things look like if they were aligning and operating perfectly in the will of God? That's what it means to locate the target. That's what we have to do first, is what does, what does the accomplishment, the manifestation of your will look like in my marriage? What does it look like in, in, in my children? What does it look like in my church? That's, what, that's, that's locating the char- target. The next thing we need to do is to magnify the target because blind marksmen are not only useless, they're dangerous. They're dangerous. This is about seeing what you couldn't see in the natural. Remember years ago, I was uh, watching Charlie Hall. He, he used to do a lot of leading for the Passion Worship uh, Group. And, and I, was, I was watching him lead this, this worship set. And right in the middle of it, he says, make God bigger. And I'm like... Okay, how do I do that? Like, that just jarred me. And then I realized, like, you ever take a magnifying glass? Some of y'all take magnifying glasses to little ants and whatnot. Y'all, y- 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 y'all messed up. But <clears throat> I'm talking about you take a magnifying glass. It doesn't make the thing bigger, but it makes it bigger to you. And so when the Bible says magnify the Lord with me, what it means is we're making God bigger than our our situations. We're making God bigger than our agenda. We're making God bigger than our politics. We're making God bigger than our wants. We're making God bigger than our needs. We're magnifying him above all things. And we talked about this Wednesday that, man, if if I was a lost person and I came into a church, because there's a difference between unity and uniformity. You understand that? There's a difference between a lot of churches, they gravitate toward uniformity, but that's really narcissism. That's like, I love me some me, right? So I walk in, everybody's like me, and they vote like me, and they look like me, and they read the same Bible translation, and they, and they listen to the same music. That's just narcissism by proxy. That's all that is. But the church, when you walk in and you've got different classes and different races and people who, who vote differently and think differently, but above all things... They put Jesus ahead of them. And they're unified in their worship of Jesus. See, I know this makes some folk uncomfortable, and that's okay. You need to get uncomfortable. Because some of us are so self-righteous, we think we're done. And you don't realize you're broken too. And there's some stuff that God is going to have to fix. And if you don't make room for people's imperfections, if you don't make room for somebody to be able to come in here and be wrong and be okay with that because they're saved and say, look, I disagree with you and, and, and lovingly show them, hey, this is why I think you're wrong, but still love them because we put Jesus above everything, then we're not being the church. The church has to be the organism by which the will of God is made known, not by which our preferences are made known. 
That's the easiest thing to do. I think it was Martin Luther King said that 11 o'clock Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. It's the easiest thing to do to create a church. Just go after a particular demographic and tell them they're right. Tell them they're right. If you're rich, you're right. This is the way you should live. If you're, if you're black, if you're white, if you're Democrat, if you're public, you're right. Just go after that demographic and tell them they're right. I said to somebody this week, if you can never call your side, quote unquote, to account, you're not listening to Jesus. You're not listening to the Lord. Because there is nothing on this earth that isn't broken. There is nothing on this earth that isn't affected by sin. And so if I'm just magnifying what I think and what I feel and what I believe in my agenda, it's just narcissism. See, I have to magnify God above all these things because God wants me to go beyond what any unbeliever could do and enter into the realm of... Look, any unbeliever, and many of them do. Atheists, man, things get bad enough, they pray. And they ask God to help. I was watching or reading an interview with Andrew Garfield. He's a movie star. He started in the social network and he was one of the Spider-Mans. <clears throat> and he, is, he defines himself, he was raised Jewish, defines himself as a pantheist atheist. I don't even know what that is. Pantheist atheist. And he said he was offered this role to play a Jesuit missionary. And so obviously he had to study the teachings of Jesus and he said, it shocked and amazed me how easy it was to fall in love with Jesus Christ. Wow. So why aren't we doing that? Because we're elevating, we're magnifying us. We're magnifying what we think and what we feel and our agenda and our politics and all that stuff. But if Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. If we don't lift Jesus up in this place, you lift anything else up, you put it on the throne, you're not going to be effective. You might draw a crowd, but the Pharisees did that. The Pharisees recruited people all the time. When we begin to magnify the heart of God, the will of God, we see with more clarity what needs to happen. So now we're not just praying generalities. We're not just, okay, God, give me a better marriage or God, help my child get free from bondage. Now we start to see why the marriage is struggling. Now we start to see why the child has turned to that substance. So we start to be able to focus more intentionally because we magnify the Lord. We magnify his heart. We magnify his will. Hebrews 11 39, I mentioned I was going to go, go to this chapter. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, when you read Hebrews 11, like I said, it's called the Heroes Hall of Fame. And we talk about David and Abraham. We talk about Noah. We talk about Moses. And we see this pattern of faith. And, and, and like, we, like the Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then the writer goes on and talks about people who were martyred. They were crucified. They were sawn in two. They were stoned. They were beaten. And they could have gotten out of it, but it said they submitted themselves to it to gain a better resurrection. They wanted more treasure in eternity. So that's when he says these, that's who he's talking about. All these great saints of God, they were commended for their faith. But they didn't receive what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, we are purposefully placed to do specific things that will, when linked together with the work of God's other agents, bring the total 
and absolute destruction of the devil's work. God has a plan and he's knitting together churches and Christians across generations, across the globe. And he's, and he's knitting these things together for the ultimate purpose so that one day when Jesus Christ comes and sits on his throne and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and the devil will be bound and thrown into captivity for a thousand years. See, the deeper you enter into intimacy with God, the more clearly you will perceive the unfolding purposes of God. It actually might become and will become difficult to pray selfishly. because You ever, you ever start praying to God and you say something like, no, you know what, strike that, right? Because you hear the words coming out your own mouth. And you're like, no, nah, never mind, never mind, I didn't really mean that, right? You meant it, but your flesh meant it. And what that indicates is you're growing up. So you ever see a little baby and they're like, oh, it's so cute. It's like their, their head is like 90%, right? And they get this little body in their head's like this big, right? And what happens is eventually the body grows into the head. You hear what I'm saying? The church, our head, is Christ Jesus, right? How bizarre would it look if you came across some 40-year-old with a head like this big and a body like this big, right? It'd look ridiculous, You'd be like, something is really wrong with this picture. And so as we grow, we become more like Jesus. We become a healthy body that God is knitting together and God is bringing growth to. And it becomes more and more difficult to pray in a fleshly or a selfish way because you begin to get excited about the plan of God and not just the hand of God. See, hand of God prayer, like I said, there's a, pl- a time and a place for them. God, we, we want you to do this and we ask you to heal this person. We ask you to do this in, for our church. There's a place for that. But deep prayer goes into the plan of God. Deep prayer goes into the heart of God. And it gets us excited the way we used to be excited about God moving in our lives. Then when we, then that happens, we, we have to become proficient. We're going to talk about discharging the weapons of our warfare next week but I want you to look at three impactful truths that are taught in just eight words and they're in, they're found in Colossians 4 2 devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful and what Paul is saying is that the first thing that I have to purpose to be is devoted to prayer the early church acts tells us right after the coming of the Holy Spirit the birth of the church They were devoted to prayer, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. We've become a kind of a fast food spiritual generation. Well, you're not going to become a proficient marksman if you only pick up your weapon once or twice a week. I don't know anybody that's, that, that, that does target practice that thinks, you know what, I can spend 10 minutes at a gun range once a week and become really skilled. You're not going to learn an instrument that way. You're not going to learn a language that way. You can't even do that at a golf driving range. You will not become skilled at what you're attempting until you decide to devote yourself to it. The second thing he's saying is you need to be watchful. This is a word that Jesus used often as well. It means to be aware of what is happening around you and of God's purposes in that situation. I think of Jesus and he's coming over the hill to Jerusalem and and he's lamenting how often they have killed the prophets and rejected the will of God. And he says, I've come to light a fire on this earth and how I wish it were already kindled. 
See, he's looking past where they are right now. He's looking past even the cross. And he's seeing the coming and the birth of the church and the empowerment of the church. And he's seeing the glory of this this bride making herself ready. And he's getting excited about the plan of God. And we've lost that in this generation. We're not excited the way we used to be. We're We're not coming into church like ready to see God's plan unfold. And, and it's not anything to do, I, I, I put this up on, on, I think it was Facebook yesterday, but I said, look, <clears throat> you think you're busy? Man, look at your great-grandparents' schedule. You think you're tired at the end of the day? Look at what they had to go to. But they worshiped, they served, they prayed, they planted this church. Why? Because they put something above themselves. They put the unfolding plan of God above themselves. It's not, it's not our schedules. It's our spiritual condition. That's the problem. The problem is not our busyness. The problem, I mean, if we're going to sit here and say, oh, you know what? I just do so much more than my great grandfather. I'm like, for reals? You seriously, like, seriously? Your your, your grandfather wouldn't have gotten addicted to the phone because he didn't have time to be on the phone all the time. He didn't have time to do all that stuff. And you'd work until you were tired. You'd come home and you eat and you go to bed because you were tired. And it still worshiped. And they still prayed. And they still planted churches. And we've lost that in this generation. We've lost that hunger. But the amazing thing is, and this is when we look at Hebrews 11 and we look at these other passages, I, I, I think about... Uh, Jesus speaking in Matthew 13 and he says blessed are your eyes because they see and blessed are your ears because they hear truly I tell you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it it's interesting because a lot of times when Jesus is speaking the rabbis would close statements of truth and say amen so a lot of times when you see the word truly Jesus would say amen at the beginning of a sentence. Like, and that, that really frustrated the Pharisees, man. That got them angry. That ticked them off because, like, who do you think you are? Like, amen before you even talk? Because I'm Jesus. So, yeah, amen before I even talk. Amen. Many righteous people, many prophets long to see what you see. In other words, man, there are generations and countless numbers of righteous people who've gone before us who would love to have ministered right before the coming of Jesus Christ. Steve Camp had a song called Run to the Battle. And um, the first line of it is, some people want to live in the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. Wow. That's awesome, man. Like, I want to get people when they're one step away from eternal judgment. That's us. We have that opportunity. We know the trumpet could sound anytime. Man, even apathetic people, even people who aren't prayerful, even people who don't know how to worship when I say, you do know Jesus could come anytime. Oh, yeah. All right, man. Good luck. <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. See, the problem is, and, 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 and I mentioned, I, I was right near Newtown. I, I was right near Parkland when those, when those shootings happened. I used to pass Parkland on my way to my office. And we get angry and we get infuriated when somebody takes a weapon of power and turns it against the innocent. They use it for an evil and wrong purpose. 
Let me tell you something. When Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. He doesn't give us that kind of intimacy so we can bless ourselves selfishly on this earth. He gives us that kind of power and intimacy so that we can destroy the devil's work. You frustrated about your culture? You frustrated about this generation? You frustrated about politicians? You frustrated what's going on in the school? Do you pray? Because if you don't, zip it. People say, well, if you don't vote, you can't complain. I got news for you. This is America. You cannot vote and still complain, right? I mean, that's in the Constitution. But you know what you can't do? You can't take the power of God and use it selfishly and then get upset because the world is going crazy around you. What we need to become is a focused church that is intimate with God, that is habitual and understands how to aim and what to aim for so that we can be vessels of use. We need to be devoted, we need to be watchful, and we need to be thankful. In other words, God... I am so grateful because all these other generations had the opportunity to minister then. But God, we have the opportunity to minister to a world that is this far from hell. We have the opportunity to really destroy the enemy. We have the opportunity to be the generation that is standing on this earth when Jesus parts the clouds and he comes down and we're just, yeah, right? I mean, I don't want to be like, "Uh uh-oh, not not now, Lord, because I still haven't. No. The Bible talks about people like that. And they say they shrink back at his appearing. I want to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Right? We used to have rapture practice, right? (laughs) We we used to get get so excited. We'd just be jumping up and down. Man, I'm getting ready for Jesus to part the clouds and take me up with him. And then we come right back down and we rule and we reign with Jesus. And all those people that hated us, and we'd like, I told you so. I tried to tell you, but you didn't listen. See, that throne, yeah, he there, right? And you were making fun of me. There's going to be a glorious celebration. We should be practicing being thankful now because we've been called to be a part of that. Unfortunately, too many believers look more like a dangerous lunatic than they do like a trained marksman. God called us to a ministry of intimacy with His will that was not available to the saints of old. And not only know His will, the vessels of accomplishing it. In church, that's the target. The target is the accomplishment of God's will in the circumstances and situations he leads us to. People in your life aren't there by accident. You don't go to work at that place by accident. You go to school where you go by accident. You don't come to church. The Bible even says that God has ordered the members of the body as he sees fit. He's arranged things, put you in a targeted specific place so that you can accomplish something that he has reserved for you to accomplish. See, Jesus knew the will of God better than anybody else who's ever walked on the earth. And yet, he prayed customarily. He would pray at length before major decisions. Think about that. Even though he knew the Father's will perfectly, he still engaged in lengthy times of prayer as an example to you and I. He was known to disappear from the crowds to recharge in prayer. He was focused. He was targeted. He was intentional. 
And truthfully, unless you came in that way, I don't expect you to leave that way. But I would ask you this as we get ready to close. Do you want to be that way? Do you want to be that way? Do you want to be a Jesus freak? Do you want to be the worshiper that apathetic Christians go, oh, I can't sit next to her. She just, let's move over here. See, I want to be that person. I want to be the person, if I'm not preaching, I want to be in the church to be that person where we need to move. That guy just, it's called being convicted. (laughs) And that's the problem. You start sensing that I need to be that way. See, I can't do a whole lot if you don't want to be that way. But man, I want to be seeing love with Jesus. I just want to be, when I see people and I begin to perceive that God is doing a work in their lives. Man, there is no feeling on earth Like when you recognize that God is drawing somebody and he intersects your path with theirs so that you can share Jesus, that you can share the gospel with them. I want to be that way. And if you want to be that way, there's no better time to begin to become proficient in the skill of prayer than today. To start becoming someone that is dangerous for the kingdom of God. You'll never have more time to impact the temporal for the eternal than you do right this second. But you can't hit a target you can't see. God is able to open your eyes for you to see what you never could have seen before. He's able to open your eyes so that you can magnify the target like never before if you'll let him. Come on, let's stand together. I want to spend just a few moments in worship at the close of this service, but I don't ask you to repeat this prayer after me, but I want you, if, this, if that's your heart, I want you to amen this prayer in your own heart. God, I commit myself to becoming devoted to the purpose for which I'm on this earth at this very moment. To become skilled at seeing the target. To accomplish that which you have placed me here to accomplish. Show me your will, Father. Not simply your general will, but your specific purposes for me. I want to pray. Every time I pray, I want to pray in alignment with your will, like Jesus did. I want each day from this day forward to perceive your intent and your heart with a greater and greater sensitivity and awareness. And if that's your prayer, church, I'm going to open up this altar. I'm going to invite you to get before the Lord and tell him that in your own words because it's not about agreeing with my words. It's about you developing that relationship with the Lord where there's interaction and you speak and you listen and you move according to his will.